Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclists. Welcome to the Something for the Turbo podcast. Today we're supported by our friends Alp Cycles. Get in touch with them for all your alpine cycling experiences. A slightly different topic today. I'm delighted to be joined by physiotherapist and founder of Body Mechanics, Dave Emsley. Dave is a renowned physiotherapist who has worked with a number of elite sports people. And we discuss cycling, of course, physiotherapy, different approaches to physiotherapy, body mechanics, and how that relates to cyclists various injuries, and also optimum body mechanics for cycling performance. We discuss this and a whole lot more, including posture, bike fit, some tests you can try at home yourself, yoga, Pilates, cranial, foam rolling, massage guns, and lots more. It's a fascinating discussion and well worth listening to. And without further ado, let me bring you Dave. Dave, how are you? Thank you very much for joining us. You well? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. You've been surviving the the lockdown. It must have been quite an interesting time for yourselves and your practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To say to say the very least, uh, we certainly had to to change our approaches very very quickly in order to to survive. Basically, all yeah. of a sudden, you're not allowed to see people in clinic space, which is exactly what we love doing all day every day. So we yeah we we went technological, uh, and I am a non technological person, so uh, we yeah we spent hours and hours and hours working out how to do it and what was the best way. Got got our team to, to, to engage and we've helped met multiple people in the time that we couldn't see them face to face in a clinic room over uh, you know, over computers which was a change for us but at the same time it was a help and we were glad that we could do it but it's very very refreshing to be able to uh, to see people back into clinic space now and uh, you know it's it's really exciting to be able to put your hands onto people's bodies again and, and try and make them move better. Yeah, definitely. And you've you've been surviving using all the PPE. That must have been a new experience for you. <laughs> Hot, uh, I imagine it is and it isn't. Having worked in the NHS, uh, you know, we've, we've all had to wear PPE from time to time. But uh, certainly, the, the joy of uh, of the weather in lockdown has been. It's been so sunny and so nice that you know at least we all had a bit of bit of bit of vitamin D and a, you know, a bit of endorphin release from from the sunshine. But the negative is when you are wearing plastic, uh, you know, over your body, over your face, on your hands, etc. It does, it does. <laughs> it's, it's not it's the most comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I mentioned just off air, there, obviously, I haven't actually given you the full introduction like I normally would to the podcast because I think your background is actually part of the story and why I was keen to get you on today. So I don't know how should we kick this off? Do you want to sort of talk through how you ended up where you are today and, and your journey? How did you sort of move into the into the physiotherapy world? I think a lot of physios followed uh, a similar pathway to myself. Uh, I was a sporty child. Uh, I was given a squash racket, broken in half when I was three, thrown onto a squash court. I was the same with a tennis racket. Uh, I played football. I played every sport you could possibly throw at me. Loved it. I then had growing pains, Osgood Slatters. Had to stop playing sport for six months. Uh, went, to see, went to see a physio, went to see the doc, you know, went to see various people. Yeah, just rest yeah. it or give it time. So I did, but it's a very frustrating situation sitting on the sidelines when you're at county standard of playing a sport and you know you can't play and you watch everyone else getting better and better and better. So yeah. I think I had the inspiration then of of saying, well, actually, if if that's if that's happened to me, I I want to I want to be able to help other people that have been in the same position. And in school, I loved sport. PE was my favourite thing. But human biology, I was fascinated by. Uh, loved learning about muscles, uh, the body, how it all works. And so yeah. it was a natural progression for me to say, right, what, what area do I put this into? And to be, uh, it got towards the end of school. 
Uh, I will be honest that I wasn't the most academic of people. I was much, I'd much rather run around, play sport, and have a good time. Yeah, I can relate to that. Indeed. Uh, so I had to write. I didn't have uh, at that time to get into a physiotherapy course. I think even it is still now that basically it, it's A's, uh, straight A's, if not two A's and a B at A level in order to get onto a course. And okay. when I was uh, got my predicted grades, I was predicted B's. So you know, talk with the parents, talk with people around me. What's the best idea? And my parents were amazingly supportive and said, "What, what, what's your passion? What do you like doing?" And uh, I, sport was sport was always my passion, so a sports science degree was my choice. Off to university, uh, Birmingham University, wonderful place. Uh, Great I, university, yeah. Uh, sport and exercise science. I met a lot of amazing people, and it's thirty thousand students go there. Uh, yeah. And the sports ethos there was was high, and the the learning, and I think I prefer grown up learning basically rather than being you know, spoon fed in school. I quite enjoyed finding it all out for myself. Yeah, uh, got to the end, and I thought, okay, where does this lead me? I came away, had a break, uh, snowboarded for for months on end, uh, went and played cricket in Australia for a bit, and sort of worked out where I wanted to go, and ended up thinking, well, actually, I've seen a physio, I know what it's, I know what it's about. That's my choice. So off I off I packed to Edinburgh for two years uh, to do a yeah. master's in physiotherapy. Very good. And how was it? How was that? Yeah, uh, I, I, as as we've spoken previously before, uh, it was a wonderful it was a wonderful thing to do. Number one, Edinburgh, what an amazing city, fantastic. Yeah, there were great yeah. people in my course. There were great tutors as well. Uh, but the 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 way it was taught, or my learnings on the course didn't marry to what I'd learned and got a grasp of in sports science. It was it was very much led by a, so a sort of a medical model, the GP practice model, which is uh, looking at joints in isolation, and this is how you test this, and this is how you test that, and you isolate this by doing this, you isolate this by doing that, and that that didn't marry with all of the functional anatomy and motor programming and uh, and sort of well, for muscle memory for want of a phrase uh, you know learnings that I'd had within sports science so I was and, and also would you say that's also from playing sport yourself as right you couldn't relate to it obviously the sports science bit but having grown up playing sports playing different sports and seeing physios and being when you're then learning physiotherapy in a very theoretical and sort of micro perspective you're like oh hang on that's not really what that's not really what you're thinking as a sportsman exactly that yeah, yeah. I, I was just finding that you look at it and I, it, I, it gave me a great basis. Uh, so it, it gave me a great way of orthopedic testing joints. It gave me a great understanding of the way muscles interact. But it didn't really lead on to that feeling of, well, it's all very well knowing how they interact and where they all are. But, but when you want to do a movement in sport, what's the movement? I need to know how to break the movement down. Show me the movement. Show me. Let me feel it. Let me let us let us work through that movement and work out what's going wrong. And that's not the way when I was taught, it was taught. I, I do believe things are changing now. Yeah. So I can't speak for the the, sorry, the the more modern physio coming out of, of university, but you're still taught in a way that is effectively uh, driven by an orthopedic model, which is I have a knee pain, right, show me your knee. What happens with your knee? Let me just check the okay. joint above. Let me just check the joint below. But really, I'm going to focus on the knee. And you go, but that's not the way the body works. That the knee is just a part of a big chain that goes from top to bottom. So you can't just focus on that one area. And I think that was my frustration that I found in my learnings, and then going into the NHS and then uh, and that is still working within that manner. 
I, I, over time, I was getting more and more frustrated, and I was just searching for avenues to give me more inspiration. That's interesting. So I was going to ask you: Did you? When did you come across the integrated systems model? Was that while you were working with, as a physio within HS? You were sort of seeking out different avenues or and more fulfillment from a career perspective in some regards. Exactly that. So I was fortunate enough to work alongside a locum physio who ran a physio training company. And his physio training company, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, he, he asked for my help. So I would go along and help him set up courses, sit at the back, listen to the teachings, watch the teachings, serve teas and coffees. You know, I'd be the, the skivvy in the background. But what a yeah. great way of dipping in and getting information in all these different areas. And various, various talkers I was inspired by, various, I was sitting there scratching my head thinking, I'm not sure what, what I would have learned if I'd have paid to come on this learning course. And having spoken to the guy who ran the, ran, ran the company and us having you know, in-depth conversations about my frustrations and, and my thought processes around movement, function, etc., he said, there's, uh, there's someone you've got to meet. And he introduced me to uh, Diane Lee, Canadian physiotherapist, who, yeah, just shared, shared my passion, I guess, but had thought about it long before I did. She, she, she pioneered the system, right? I mean, it was her that, so it's relatively new. Can you give us a bit of an overview in terms of um, her background and, and how she, she came about this and, and how new this is or relatively new this is so uh so diane I, I i'll be honest i'm not totally sure when when this came became part of her brainchild but certainly my learnings of it were 2009 2010 and it wasn't right. long before that that herself and a lady which is lj lee who was working with her they they devised this model so they were looking at how the body was moving and they were just inspiring each other to look at it in a different way and look at it in a better way, look at it in a different way and a better way. And Diane would say that she was very much into manual therapy and how the joints move at a, at a, at a local level. And LJ was a, an ex-gymnast, ex-ice hockey player who looked at fluency of movement. And actually by combining the two knowledges, you got to a stage yeah. where you were looking at fluency of movement, but broken down to uh, the level of what's dysfunctional and what's causing the breakdown in that fluency of movement. So uh, you look at the outcome of, of movement and you want it to be beautiful and you can often see when things are going wrong and you can see it in a cycling world where you see someone laboring on a bike uh, whereas when you see the when you see the great cyclists on the on the tour and you just watch this beautiful you know piston like yeah. movement that looks effortless yes right? yeah go, exactly why yeah. does that look effortless and the answer is you no. Know, part of it's training but the other part of it is if your body's working in the right way it becomes easier to hone that movement but if you're constantly yeah. fighting the body and trying to train while fighting the body at the same time, that's when it looks laboured and that's when it feels laboured. And so with the integrated systems model, which is just, it's, it's basically a functional assessment. It's show me your movement and what's going wrong with the movement and at what level is it going wrong and how can we try and change that for that particular movement? Then it made perfect sense to me that it's a you know if someone comes into me and says it hurts when I lift my arm up then I need to know what the whole body is doing when you're lifting your arm up yeah I don't need to know I, I can't Just assess it by, in the shoulder. yeah, yeah, I, I, you, yeah. the shoulder is part of the assessment but it, it's not the mainstay unless you find a damage restriction or something along those lines within the shoulder Often you'll find it's the position of the uh, of the neck or joints within the neck. It may be the uh, the upper body, the thorax being held in a poor position, which actually limits the mechanical advantages given to the shoulder. In which case you're you're not using levers in the right manner or rotational pivots in the right manner, which then over time leads to the fact that 
you have a movement dysfunction. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was going to say it's a little bit like that, that song you taught as a kid, you know, the knee, every, all the joints are sort of, uh, everything's connected, right? But it's actually it's actually deeper than that. It's also the nervous system and there's so many different things that can affect your overall body mechanics, be it stress or and, and numerous different things, can't it? Absolutely, yeah. And we, we look at it in, so the way the, way the system is taught is you look at the person in the center. So everybody is different. We all act in different ways to everything. So you know, my pain is different to your pain. Yeah. My, my thoughts around success are different to your thoughts around success. So yeah. the, the, you know, whoever comes into clinic, you, you, have a, you have a conversation with them around what they want to achieve. Right? What, what's the, what, is the, what is the problem? And over a period of time, you go on a journey and you explore the body's role in that problem and you explore the mind's role in that problem. So... Are you worried about something? Have you have you got a mental block about a movement? Do you want to achieve something, but you don't know how to do it? So it could be that way. And and, and so, so obviously everyone is different. You mentioned that. I mean, do some of the limitations people have start at birth? Are people more naturally flexible than other people? Or is it a fact that they have a, are mechanically better? What, what are the elements and when does it start? Or is it just the fact that every every person is different? I, I, that's a that's a great question. Uh, so whenever I normally do a talk uh, for people and they say, "Oh, you know, what's the perfect posture?" My answer tends to be, "You know, show me a two-year-old, and I'll roughly show you the perfect posture." Unless there's been problems prior to being two. Okay. After that, yeah. we learn processes, we learn positions. We the body molds to the tasks it's been asked to do. So yeah. uh, you know, as we start to walk more, you learn how to you know, how to strengthen and build strength into walking. As you learn, if you're if you're always carrying a bag on one side, you learn to carry the bag on one side and your body changes and physically adapts to all of the tasks you do over a period of time. So it compensates. Absolutely. And, uh, and when you look at it, often the, the way that I would envisage the body is the fact that we compensate over a long period of time and add compensation on compensation on compensation on compensation. And it does yeah. tend to be that you get to your age, Jules, my age, and things start going a bit wrong. And you're like, well, yeah. and you're like why are they going wrong? I haven't actually injured myself. I'm just finding yeah. it harder to do something or painful to do something. And you you would look at it at a, possibly you've just started to run out of compensation. Can't go on so much. And as I suppose undoing it is is a little bit like undoing a, a ball of string. It's not just about <laughs> it's about sort of weaving back to the beginning to find the original source. Exactly that. And the the interesting the interesting thing that often gets levied at us is oh uh, you know you're you're never going to get perfection, and and we're never looking for perfection. So, so Jules, if you if you came right. in to see me and you were there saying this is my problem, this is what I want to do, you only have to unroll that ball, that ball of string so far to allow you to use the compensations that you were using previously that allowed you to do the task. Yeah. So it's understanding the individual, right? And I think for people listening, I mean, I have to say, I think I mentioned to you before. You know, in, even in recent history, I've been to physios in in Hong Kong that that are very theoretical to the point of your original physiotherapy training, and I felt that they were trying to get me to you know the 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 blackboard skeletal posture, which was so far away given all the injuries that someone who's played sport for their whole you know life has accrued and all the sort of imbalances you get along the way. So that's frustrating that that kind of physiotherapy is still out there. And I think sometimes that's why people struggle with new, you know, new ideas or, or maybe trying a different type of physiotherapy and embracing new ideas. It's a, uh, to, to look at the body as a whole, it does take a concept shift. It does take a shift in the mindset to think that a, a problem in the neck could manifest as an issue in the foot 
But yeah. But actually, when you break it down and you look at it mechanically, it makes perfect sense. And interestingly, when we see clients in in clinic and uh, and in they come and they say, you know, I have a knee problem. You're like, okay, just get undressed into your shorts or shorts and, and, and sports bra or, uh, down towards underwear. They're looking at you thinking, why, why are you doing that? And you go, well, because I need to know what the whole body's doing. Oh, but other people haven't looked at that. Well, you say, well, okay, well, that's hopefully where we're different, which is exciting. And then you start to go through things and near enough to a, to a, to a person, they'll respond with, I had a thought about that. I thought something like that was happening. No one listens to it uh, until until you sort of sit and go, well, have you noticed that? I have noticed this has been happening. I knew that was happening. Yeah, so subconsciously people are aware of it, you think, yeah? Yeah, and a lot of people who aren't aren't that body aware still have an awareness of the fact the body probably interlinks. And a lot of people will come in and say, "I've I've got a knee pain in my right knee. Uh, and I say, what else has happened? Oh, I've hurt my shoulder previously, but that's not important. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Why is that not important? Uh, well, you know, I've been told it has. It makes no effect on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but if your if your shoulder injury has has made you adopt a posture with a twist or with excess weight or a weight shift, that would affect it. And they go and as you talk, they start going. I did think that. I did think it, but I didn't. I didn't want to sound silly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first yeah. thing you have to break down in the clinic room is that feeling of, of, of look, there's no silly questions, right? There's no, every question is a valid question. Every thought process is a valid thought process. If, if you think that your broken big toe has an effect on your migraine, there's a great possibility it does. You never know. Well, that's it. And you know your body better than anyone. So don't worry about, you know, feeling stupid about connecting Absolutely. things. You might well be right. One of, the, in fact, one of the best things I was taught along those lines is the fact that, you never know how someone else feels about something. Right? You can imagine nice. how you might feel given that situation, but you don't know how the other person feels. You don't know how the other person's responding. So when people do, when people are, they, they talk about their body and they're not being listened to, that, that's genuinely unfair. In fact, you'd go as far as to say it's, it's outrageous. Yeah? If you yeah. came in and you said, this is what I feel, I, who am I to question what you feel? It's your body. You, you know it a whole lot better than me. Yeah, interesting. That's interesting. It's not always the case, I don't think. So uh, obviously, for you've got a lot of experience in, in golf and those kind of sort of repetitive movements like cycling and, and golf and I suppose rowing and running and that, that lends to the system incredibly well, doesn't it? Or identifying issues with the system very well, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, so from, from our perspective, I, I suppose it, uh, I, suspect, I, yeah, I suppose it simplifies things to a degree because you're, you're doing it, it, as, it, as I say, the, the system that we use is a movement system. So how are you moving and what breaks down when you're moving? So if you're doing a, a repetitive movement that's causing a breakdown, you can show me that repetitive movement. I can put you on a bike. I can look at how you're, you're moving into a position to get onto the bike. And, yeah. and that gives me a great idea of what your body's doing. And then it's a question of finding out, do you know as the client that your body's doing that? Because yeah. uh, if you don't know it's doing something mischievous, then you can't change it. But the repetitive movement is uh, if, if you, your, body, your body adapts so quickly to, to small compensations, you often don't know that you twist when you squat. You often don't know that when you're cycling, you're, you're, you're not square to the handlebars. You don't know yes. that when you're playing golf, there's not as much weight on your right foot as your left foot or you, you're, you're weight bearing on the outside of the foot because you're doing a repeated movement so many times 
that your body yeah. has just adapted seamlessly so you yeah. don't know it's happening. So it's incredibly clever at, at, at sort of adapting, which is part of the problem, I suppose. Absolutely. And you, you then look at, say, uh, I've got it combative sports, rugby, football, contact sports, where you're in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in an unknown environment. And that's yeah. certainly where you, uh, you know, when you, if you, again, if you're having a repetitive injury, it's a, you know, the, the system we would, we, we would work within, uh, the reasoning model that we work within is fantastic. If the, the model they tend to use around uh, contact sports is building strength into unpredictability. And, and that works for a lot of people, but it doesn't work once you keep having the same injury. Yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're having the same injury and you're just trying to strengthen it more and more and more and more, that becomes Einstein's definition of madness of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Yeah, absolutely. So if we come on to, to cycling now and obviously we'll move later on to people that may be experiencing discomfort and we can maybe talk about how they can either come and see yourselves or, or identify good physios they should be working with but let's talk about just cyclists generally and I know you've had a chance to listen to Dougie Shaw's podcast on the bike fit piece as well but just let, let's start off the bike what what should cyclists be thinking about in terms of their own body mechanics in terms of their movement uh, any tightnesses that they have or what are the typical things that uh, that you see that cyclists struggle with and I, I you made me laugh when you mentioned that one of the, the biggest things you see for for all, all people sort of putting their back out is reaching down to the dishwasher to pull something out but what, what are the typical things you see that cyclists struggle with on a on a weekly basis so into that so cyclists that you see and this is it's a terrible thing about being a physio or it's a, my, my thought process in physio is that yeah. I drive around walk around cycle around and I'm forever watching people and what they're doing and thinking mm, yeah it's interesting <laughs> Why are you yeah. doing that? Occupational hazard, right? But <laughs> Absolutely, you, yeah. 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 And and you look at the way people are riding bikes, and you look at the expense of bikes, and how you know, wow, the, the amount of money you can spend on the most amazing bikes. This is what I loved about the, the podcast was, you know, fitting the bike to the person, person to the bike. What's the best setup for that person's body? Not just yeah. cool. Look at that bike; it's five thousand pound. Wow, that must be good. I'll buy that one. And, yeah. and what you see is two typical things I'll see will be one knee moving in and out when you're cycling. Yeah, so yes, towards, yeah. towards a crossbar away from a crossbar, towards a crossbar away from a crossbar. Yeah. Or reaching over the handlebars and effectively yeah. leaning the shoulders forwards. Yeah. And when you look at those two things happening, you, you go, oh, okay, interesting. I wonder, I wonder if that's a comfortable cycling position for you. I yes. wonder how far you can cycle before breakdown occurs. Yeah, before and and that was, I mean, uh, Dougie was very interesting in the respect that he mentioned that he's obviously come from the originally the same background as you, the sports science background, before moving into fitting. But he would often could only take athletes so far from a fit perspective, and would often consult with a physiotherapist in terms of any any particular nuances there. But so obviously, bike fit is important, and then working with a physio is almost separate in that regard isn't it it's kind of like you, you can only optimize your position on the bike but then you need to be thinking about your movement beyond that as well right exactly that so uh, i guess i'm going to generalize bike fix I, otherwise it's, it's a, it, this is a slightly unfair uh, thought process around it but uh, you'll understand what i'm talking about as you yeah. uh, as we go through i've seen a lot of people who have had what you would term the standard bike fit 
and yeah. the standard bike fit is right where's your saddle going to be do you need to, where, where are your feet going to be on the pedals do i need to wedge anything in the shoes yeah. and, and what the fit is doing is it's accommodating the body position yeah now if the body position is poor and you accommodate it you allow the body position to get worse whereas if you're going in a in a sort of bike fit that is a a journey, a repetitive bike fit of what happens to your body if we change that, go cycle, see what it feels like, do we need to tinker with it, do we need to change it further? Yes. Then you're looking at, well, actually, how much do we need to accommodate of the body, but how much do we want the body to move better so you don't have well, to accommodate it? And it's the... So it's that process, isn't it? And going back to what you've told us about the integrated systems model, if you're trying to, if you're just going, you just want the bike fitter to make you perfect in one go, which obviously Dougie said is, is not yeah. the way to go. And it's what you're saying is not the way to go. Yeah. You may be getting them to address a knee, right knee issue. But as we've just learned about the integrated systems model, that right knee issue might be being caused by the left shoulder. So you, you're not really... Is you're sticking a plaster over the wound rather than trying to figure out what the source is, right? Exactly that. Yeah, and we we've talked previously about working in golf and the, the way the two the way the two parallel is quite interesting because again, when you look at golf, the big question is: is your swing the way it is because the way the body moves, or is your body moving the way it moves because your swing thought process? And you've got the two in cycling. Are you? I, I, I hadn't thought about that. Hang right. on. So let me just process that. So are you swinging because of your biomechanics, or is that your thought process? And I suppose that's the same as cycling, right? Is your cycling because everyone? Yeah. Do you cycle the way you do because of your, your biomechanics, or is that just how you've your, learned? Exactly. Have your biomechanics adapted to the way you want to cycle? So it, it is. It's it, yeah. it's an interesting thought process to go through, and that's where. Uh, in, in golf, it has to be teamwork. So, uh, so physiotherapy-wise, from my perspective, I, I need the buy-in of the coach, or I need a joint approach with the coach. Yeah, and just with cycling, yeah. it's actually you know, it, it, it's a it, uh, what what I what I do may not fix things, but it may give you the opportunity to move in a different way. That if you then hone that different way, it starts to work better. And you know, I think the currency that all cyclists talking is that actually by the sounds of that if it allows you to move in a different way there are going to be performance gains there absolutely and so if you're not if you're not activating your glutes as much as you should be that's a massive muscle not to be activating if you're a cyclist yeah and, and if you so going back to, to the original part of the question which which is what do i what fault do i see the most the fault i see the most is you know, i'll be driving behind a cyclist who, you know, full lycris, looks like they know what they're doing, you know, nice bike, knees going in and out on one side. Yeah. And you're like, well, if that knee's going in and out on one side, that leg is not working efficiently. And if it's not working efficiently, as you say, there is performance to be gained because actually you're if you losing can, power. Yeah, you're, you are losing power. You're, uh, so, and the same happens as in, in sprinters. I, I realise I'm, 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 going, I'm going in tangents here. The same happens in sprinters when you look at them do a bullet start. And if you look yeah. at sprinters in a bullet start position, the guys who have their legs in a straight line are faster yeah. than the guy who cocks his leg out to the side slightly. Was that is that lateral movement? It's a it's waste a of lateral, energy, isn't exactly it? Exactly really? that. So all of that yeah. lateral movement on the bike is as if you're trying to push the pedal outwards and inwards rather than straight down. Okay. So here's the question I've got. So I think anyone who's riding who rides in a group ride, there's someone within that. It's probably me actually. I'm just not aware of it. But like, there'll be someone in your group that you've noticed. There, you know, one leg slightly different, or one leg comes out right. And I think a lot 
of cyclists are a funny breed in the respect that they're all and I suppose like golfers I think maybe all of these sort of movements we're talking about develop people that are always sort of tinkering and fixing and also resigned to the things that will never be perfect I think maybe people think okay they may know they have an issue and have just decided that oh I had that injury when I was younger or that's an old rugby injury or or whatever it will always be the case. And that's not true. Every, you know, everyone, correct me if I'm wrong, things can be improved for everyone. Or what's your view on that? All right, so that, that's a, that is a good question. It would always be my view that you can improve the situation full stop. There, you know, there are issues in the body. Let's, so let's say, for example, you've got a, a grossly arthritic hip. Okay. Then, yeah. you know, there's a limited amount of change you can do around that. that it, yeah. it's the, it is therefore, it is the shape and form of the body you would probably be able to get a little bit of extra of extra uh, performance from it, but fundamentally, if it's if it's not if it's not working anatomically well, and is uh, and it's a structural issue, it's a structural issue. Um, but also to add to that, though, if you've got a, a, a chronically arthritic hip and your position's wrong as well, that's only <laughs> going to make it worse, right? Absolutely, yeah. But if you've got uh, so let, uh, and uh, something we've seen many times, if you've got an old knee injury from football, okay, and people go, "Oh, it's my old knee injury from football," you know, I, I, it's just the way it is. People are making the assumption that the limitation of the movement is the old injury, and the open-mindedness of saying, "But what if that old injury is only part of it? What if the rest of the body has adapted to the old injury? That if you ask yeah. the rest of the body to move better, you can strengthen the old injury better." And actually, you can you can work the area that you think is knackered to a yes. better degree. Then you are going to get performance gains. You're, you're going to have a change in pains, problems, dis- discomfort, and dysfunction. So I've seen yeah. I've seen many occasions where people have, have blamed an old knee injury, only to find that when you treat a different area of the body and given a better understanding of a different area of the body, then the what they used to get as the old knee injury disappears. Yeah. And like that's strange, and uh, and as long as the knee injury hasn't created a real, you know, a a uh, an anatomically horrendously dysfunctional knee, then yeah, there's there's normally things that can be gained from it. There's normally the fact that the body is just using the leg differently because that's what it's learned to do, and and you're oblivious to it because up until this point in time. You know, you've been able to achieve what you've, what you've needed to achieve. So that's something for, for anyone listening is to encourage you to be open minded. So if you've got a historical niggle or you've just sort of written it off as that's how your body is and you'll never be better. It's, it might be worth going to get checked out and having a look at it and just being a little bit more open minded in terms of potential opportunities or possibilities. It, uh, it's probably our, our favorite person who walks through the door that comes in and says, I've tried everything. And you're like, that's a red rag to a bull. You're like, yes, yeah. the, the juice of the gum and then you're like, here we go. Uh, can, can we change it? And it, it, yeah. it's a combined journey. So, yeah. uh, Jules, if you come into clinic, the, the, the journey is yours and mine because I'm finding out about how you move, but at the same time, you're yeah. finding out about how you move as well. So yeah. it's actually a really exciting thing it's for, for me. And maybe I'm afraid maybe it shows my sadness, but it's really exciting that someone comes into our clinic space and they go out knowing a lot more about their body their than they body, did yeah. when they came in. Yeah, fascinating. That's and it's, really cool. It's, it's really exciting when you can see someone change in the clinic space, because if you can make a change in the clinic space, it opens the mind to the fact that it can change. Yeah. So if someone thinks their hip can't move very well, 
but you then show them that it can, that, that's a really empowering moment. It's an empowering moment for oh, you. you as the client because you've suddenly seen change. This, yeah. my concept was wrong. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was broken and it's not. I thought I couldn't use it and I can. Uh, yeah. All my Googling was incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dr. Google didn't nail it. And, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But people, and, uh, and people get information from different places. You just highlighted a brilliant, uh, Dr. Google. Uh, you know, people go, to the, people go to the GP and I, uh, I, I feel for GPs because they've got an average of six minutes per, per person who comes in. And you say wow. to them, I have a problem. I have a problem with my hip. And yeah. they will say, tell me about it. And you'll tell them about it in about two minutes. And they'll go, right, that sounds like a bursitis. You know, go, go take these anti-inflammatories and I'll try and get you into the physios as soon as possible. It's normally a six, eight, 10, 12 week wait before you see the physios. Yeah. And then what happens is the physio gets a referral saying bursitis. Well, a physio, if they're, if they're not confident in themselves or if they're not questioning it, goes, oh, that's a bursitis. In that case, I know how to treat a bursitis. This is how you treat a bursitis. But the, the, the GPs had two minutes to give you their opinion and they're picking their best thought process around yeah, yeah, yeah. the information they've got. And what you just described there, I take it, is the is the traditional physiotherapy path which is what you're originally trained tra- trained in right it, it, then you're not that that type of physiotherapy isn't thinking about holistically the whole body other things or even you know they're just taking what the doctor said and treating it absolutely yeah uh, and there are there are still people out there today that if i if i told you jules that i think part of the reason that you've got a leg problem is because you've got a dysfunctional shoulder that would scoff at me and yeah, and they call me various names, I imagine. But yeah, I I know things. I know I like I, the, the way the body works and the neural integration of the body and the myofascial interconnections of the body. And I know I've still got so much more to learn. And that's what's exciting. Yeah. I, 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 I by yeah. far haven't nailed this. I but I'm I get that I get I get passionate and excited about you know people coming in and being open minded and saying you know I just need to know what's going wrong. And you say, well, well we've changed something here that's affected elsewhere. Can you understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the majority yeah. of people go, I can. And, and that's exciting. Yeah, that's cool. So we've obviously mentioned people that may have sort of historic things or just assume that they have barriers that they'll never be able to improve. What about people that just haven't considered that there's anything wrong with them or even off the bike? What what should people listening, are there, is there anything they can think of while listening now just to check their movement or anything like that? Or would you encourage people to just, yeah, what, what would you say to, to those that just are listening and saying, I'm I'm a perfect machine? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> I, uh, I tell you, if they are a perfect machine, our oh, hats off to them. Chapeau. Yeah, uh, chapeau, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm jealous. Uh, I, so I, I've treated and seen various high-level high level sports people, the elite, and yeah. you can still make changes that benefit them. Uh, yeah. And if you then look at uh, you know, the 1% rule, yeah, so talking uh, Brailsford terms, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the tweaks that you can make to any system can gain you so much when you're you're looking at everybody's trying to do the same thing and achieve the same thing so yeah. the simplest thing that I, I so we we look at screens of movement so Jules, you, you've came into me and you say i'm cycling and it hurts when i cycle but the first thing yeah. i need to know is how does your body move into uh, into uh, in a vertical composite a cycle position how do you squat and move your arms forwards at the same time so yeah. are you doing that symmetrically do you have the available movement or are you doing some kind of 
rotation, some kind of weight shift, something that changes the position of the body from a straight line as you yeah. go into that position. And this is yeah. something that everyone could do in the mirror. You can drop a plumb line down the mirror, yeah? Get your feet yeah. equal width from the plumb line facing forward. Pedal width yeah. is always good, of course, because if you know how wide your pedals are, stick your feet into that position. Yeah. And go get into a squat position. Uh, so half, half squat to two-thirds is quite nice. Arms coming forward as if you're reaching for handlebars. Do it in your underwear, right? And watch the body. Look, scrutinize it. Does it all move in the same direction? Or do you okay. start to twist and do you start to talk? Okay. Yeah. And if they're twisted talks there, they notice that. What 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 should what should one do? And and here that's the killer question, Jules, because it, it it's everyone's different. Everyone's different. And yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so when we when we talk to runners, we always say, look, there's always a runner's world, right? Answer to this. There's always a cycling weekly answer to this. There's a magazine answer to everything which makes gross <laughs> assumptions about the person yeah. who's reading it. Now, yeah. if, you look at, if you look at a breakdown of certain things, you can look at the fact that if you then stand upright in that position and you turn your toes to point towards each other, yeah, as you turn yeah. your toes to point towards each other, is it the same ease of movement on both sides and do you reach the same point? Yeah. And what I'm looking yeah. at then is how well does the hip turn inwards? And the same if you then bring your heels together and turn the toes outwards, they're pointing away from each other as far as possible, Charlie Chaplin style. Again, yeah. are they symmetrical? Do you have the same ease of movement? Do they go the same distance? It's a gross screen of how well the hips turn inwards and outwards. And how well they turn inwards and outwards is a good thought process around are they, are they articulating in the right way the ball in the socket? Yeah. Now, okay. if you go, no, that look, that feels pretty equal. I'm happy with that. Then you can go, yeah. okay, well, if you lie down on the ground and you start to bring your, uh, your knee up towards you, at what point does the pelvis start to move rather than just the thigh moving up towards you? Okay. Yeah. So, or for most cyclists, what point does it do the hip flexors start to grip? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you come up into that position, you start to go, as, as my knee comes up to say 80 degrees, I, uh, and you can put your hands on the front of the pelvis, the bony bits of the front, the uh, the yeah. ASIS areas of the pelvis. As you come up, when you start to feel that compensatory movement of the pelvis, is it before 90 degrees? Do you actually have 90 degrees of flexion at the hip? Which, if you're sitting on a bike and you're leaning forwards over the handlebars, it's a good idea to have 90 degrees of flexion on both sides. And again, is there an asymmetry? So I'm looking for asymmetries, particularly if you found a weight shift or a twist in that squat. Is there an asymmetry yeah. between the two sides? If there is an asymmetry between the two sides on either of those tests, a, a hip is working differently to the other hip. But again, it leads to the question as to why. Uh, and as part of the NHS, the, one of the amazing things I did was I went through a project management system because they were trying to make things more efficient. And you, uh, uh, people came in and it was, oh, this is how to make uh, the processes of, of, uh, of, working the, of working the NHS more efficient. That didn't necessarily work, but that's not the point. And they taught me about the, the five whys of business. And the five whys of business are, are not, uh, oh, I, I, our bicycle sales have gone down. You go, why? Oh, well, maybe we haven't got the right stock. Why? That's two whys. Well, yeah. you know, we, we broke our contract with that other person. Why? That's three whys. By the time you get to the fifth why, you're getting towards the root of a problem. Yeah. So it's the same okay. principle with the body. So 
there is a screening test. And it's a nice screening test to do. And, and people hopefully will try this at home and they'll go, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know my right hip moved differently to my left hip. Yeah. The, the why behind that is the more difficult area because it's yeah. the hip being held in a position because there is something wrong with the, or so, uh, something wrong with the control of the musculature around it. Is it being held in yeah. that position because there's something wrong with the foot and without holding the hip in that position, you'd have a bad foot? Or is it holding that position because the shoulder, like the shoulder or the upper thorax is doing something funky from working too long at desks? And, and that's the breakdown pattern that we have to look at, which right. is which yeah. area do you want to affect to have the biggest and best outcome from your treatment? Yeah, and if there's performance gains there, even if you've noticed some imbalances how would you so how would one go about sort of so what i'm trying to say is like physio is not always for when you're injured is it you can go for an mot or just regularly do you see clients sort of regularly just a touch base and catch up and see where they're how they're moving is that something that you do absolutely and yeah. and that's because the what you're looking at is a a movement program a schema back into my sports science days you're, you're looking yeah. at a motor pattern and the motor pattern is variable. And again, that's where you get these seamless changes that you don't know you've changed the motor pattern. So actually getting a checkup is a great idea because the, the key phrase you learn or that we've learned over a period of time is you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, so of course. If you, Jules, don't know that you've changed your motor pattern, then you genuinely don't know you've changed your motor pattern. It's not until you put someone in front of a mirror, show them how they're moving, that people go, yeah. I hadn't realized I've been doing yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with saying that, and it's not embarrassing. It's I, I, yeah. I know you haven't realized it, but I'm showing you from an objective point of view that it is happening. And if we, this is how we're trying to change it. And it's, if you're slipping back into, a norm, uh, into your plan A, but we need to hone plan B. Okay, that's cool. And obviously you, you've worked with various elite athletes uh, during your time at the practice. Do, are, they, are you constantly working with them? I think you mentioned with golfers that's something important to do, but other athletes, you're constantly working with them during this, pro, you know, this kind of thing, monitoring them sort of periodically, seeing how they're moving, and, and will that change throughout the year given where they're at with their season and stuff, if they're fatigued and stuff like that? Yes, uh, yes to all. I guess is the answer. Yeah, yes to all. Uh, yeah. I thought yeah. that would be the case. So, yeah. because you look at you look at the training, uh, so it's about dovetailing as well. So, you're, so you you mentioned some really good points there. Number one is, am I working through the year? Yeah, absolutely, because I want to make sure that they are still aware of the movements that they want to achieve and how to achieve them. Number two yeah. is there are different factors through the year as to what they're aiming for. So athletes will have a, you know, a, a sort of a training strengthening zone, but when they start running, they're doing a lot less training and strengthening. They're doing a lot more technique. And so you're looking at the different aspects of if you start training and start loading the system with weights, with, uh, with exercises, are you achieving the outcomes of the movement that's being asked of you by cheating your body? Or are you doing it and strengthening the pattern that you want to achieve? So is that with regard to some of the, the patterns you want to achieve? Is it literally a case of taking the movement from a, from subconscious and bringing it into the consciousness, into sort of conscious movement? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you actually want to consciously control that movement until it becomes subconscious. Yeah. That's yeah. very and interesting. That, and that's, yeah, and, and people, this is this is not a new concept. That's muscle memory. Uh, yeah, of and, course. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I remember learning in my A level years uh, <clears throat> a long time ago about 
uh, about mental mental rehearsal. And uh, Steve Backley, back in the day, javelin thrower, trained for Olympics, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of mental rehearsal because he was injured. And yeah. what he was doing was consciously going through the motor pattern so that it was a motor pattern that became the norm. Yeah. And yeah. when you, but so when we are assessing someone in clinic, I'm looking at a certain task. And, uh, and the thing that does come out every now and again is, Jules, you come in, you say, Dave, I'm having pain when I cycle. And we go, okay, this is, what, this is how you're moving. This is how we're going to change it. Yeah, we've affected that change. You, you, you know what you're doing at home. You're doing it. Yeah, you do most of the change. I just show you how to change, right? You do yeah. it as the, as the client. And it gets to the stage where you're cycling better. You've got no pain. And I'm there going, ah, Jules, you're doing brilliant. This is fantastic. You go, yeah, but it still hurts when I run. And you go, but that wasn't, that wasn't the task. The part of the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell me that way. Yeah. And, and so you look at that and you go, if you're, if, you're, if you're working towards cycling better and better and better, you need to yeah. be able to move. You need to understand the movement and what's happening within the movement and make that movement work better and better and better. But if someone else sets you a different task, you may well be able to achieve the task. And let's call it a deadlift for what for you know just as a, as a standard thing that a lot of people do in the gym. If someone yeah. else says, "Oh, part of your training, I want you to deadlift," well, if that deadlift takes you into a squat position that induces a twist because it's a lower squat than you can achieve in your task, uh, yeah, then what you start doing is training a pattern that is not the pattern you want to achieve. No. So that's where you need to have the understanding of trainer, physio, coach, all together. Because you look at that and go, if, if the trainer is doing what they think is right and they're building your patterns into a deep squat, well, that's great as long as your deep squat is in the pattern that you want to achieve. Yeah. So, there are I've chosen it as a, as a straightforward one. There are multiple times when I'll see people and I'll say, yeah, if deadlift is part of your routine, you have to have the weight on blocks because once you get oh, to a certain depth of what squat, is, is rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start to twist. And yeah. if you then fire up in that twisted position, that's training the muscles to work in a twisted position. And if in you the, do that in enough, the way, yeah. All right, so and this is where it comes back to that is it the is it the cycling causing the biomechanics or the biomechanics causing the cycling? Well, we can put training in there as well. Is it the training causing the biomechanics, which affects the cycling? Everything affects each other. Right? The body is a, a fluid being. And what you ask of it, it, it achieves, but it's whether you're achieving it in the right way. Which comes to my, my, second, my second gimmick phrase, which is you are what you do every day. So, yeah. Jules, if you sit at your desk for nine hours a day, yeah, your body works out how to do that really well. And yeah. that's not necessarily conducive to cycling up a hill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's to say, if you decide you're going to train in a different way and you go, yeah, I'm going to go and bulk up. I'm going to go throw big weights around. I'm going to, you know, old school Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy. And you go, okay, well, that's all right. But when you're lifting those big weights or moving the big weights, how is the whole body doing that? Because yeah. if you're achieving it by a minor twist or a slight weight shift to one side, you need to know you're doing that and you need to know that challenge was too great for you because otherwise it will go into the bike pattern, right? You, you, your body will learn that twist. It will learn that weight shift. And all of a sudden, Is that why they've moved away? You mentioned Rory and Tiger there on the golf side. Obviously, they got very big around 09, 010, 011, 012 probably, and then they've yeah. kind of shrunk again. Um, right. Is that 
but they realised that they were being detrimental to their straight swing, not not strengthening it. And so I can't talk of them, but certainly there was yeah. a movement in golf that then yeah, yeah did come back away from just building raw strength and going back to to actual movement. But funnily enough, it's going to shift again because Deshambeau has just put on a whole load of bulk and he's smashing the ball 350 yards on the carry and he's winning tournaments. So, yeah, you know, you're a phase. But actually, that weight, the weight training bit, I know what you're going to say. It depends. Obviously, the, the movement is key in yeah. terms of making sure you're, if, you're, if you're working in the gym, you, 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 you're executing with proper form and correctly. But for cyclists, and you talk about if you're sat at your desk for hours at end, you're going to potentially create postural problems. The same, I suppose, for cyclists if they're doing 10, 15, 20 hours on the bike uh, in a pretty unnatural position, they may cause postural issues for them what are your views around the importance of general conditioning work not just for cyclists but anyone really are, are you a bit, big advocate of that i very much a big fan yeah big fan of uh, of all aspects of it not least the stress release of it and the you know the endorphin release of it posturally like as, as we've said uh, you know earlier on it's not about creating the best posture it's about creating no. options around posture so uh, moving in different directions and strengthening in different directions is a great thing for the body to do so that you have the option of controlled flexibility in different directions. So okay. you'd look at the major the major problem of sitting for long periods of time, cycling for long periods of time, is you are holding a, effectively a static posture and your yeah, body learns yeah. how to hold that posture really, really well. Well, you still need to be able to move away from that posture. You need to be able to stand in the pedals and dance you need to be able to, to, to explode, and that explosion doesn't come from a rounded shoulder posture. That comes from a, an alignment position that you can then put force through the pedal. And general conditioning helps this because it keeps the, the, the joints and the body moving in all different directions so that it doesn't just hone its, uh, sort of its mechanical efficiency into one position because that position... Yeah. Yes, you use it a lot of the time, but actually you still need to come away from that position, you know, during a ride and during everyday life. So therefore, make yeah. sure you're you're combining lots of different directions and movements in your training in order to make sure that you're not, yeah, creating a bad, uh, a detrimental position and a detrimental motor pattern that will actually hone over a period of time and be more detrimental to you than you would like it to be. Or a ticking time bomb for injury, I suppose. It just makes you, yeah, a more efficient machine all around. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I wanted to sort of sort of segue slightly, and something I've seen with you previously is to ask you about cranial. I know that your approach is quite holistic, and you're embracing a number of different views and stuff. But what is cranial? How does it work? And it is effective. You're a big believer in it, aren't you? It's a, uh, that's, a, that's a great question to ask someone who doesn't know a great deal about it and is learning about it all the time. Uh, right. But absolutely, the way uh, the effect you can have by feeling the tensions through a skull, as I learn more and more and more, is, is quite incredible. The body is a whole being. It literally goes from the crown of your head to the bottom of your feet. And yeah. you, you can feel tensions. And what's interesting when you put your hands onto somebody's head is there's a leap of faith for that person because I've now got my hands on your head, right? A head is a sensitive area. So yeah, yeah, yeah. once you, um, yeah. Once you, you relax into the idea that I'm now holding your head, you can yeah. feel idiosyncrasies of where, where tensions are 
and those tensions will run down through the body and will run in different directions. And as you change those, I mean, effectively, the, the, the head and the brain is the, is, the, is the nerve center of the computer. So yeah. if, you are, if you have got tensions and torques and pressures around the skull, it will have an effect on you know, the, the neural networks coming from the brain and going down the spinal cord. So, so, so when you're doing cranial, is that, is that releasing the tension or you're just observing the tension? Uh, so that depends on who, whose cranial philosophy you go for. So there are different okay. ways of approaching the cranium. From, from my perspective, what I'm looking at is what direction is the skull being pulled? And if I feel that okay. tension and yeah. we're both aware of the tension and I can bring yeah. the awareness to the tension and between us, we can relax that tension. Yeah. Does it have the positive effect on the rest of the body that we want it to? And the, the majority of the time that you feel someone's cranial tension, it does. But you have to bear in mind that, again, it comes to this domino knock-on effect of the body. If the primary area of your body that isn't working properly is elsewhere, the, yeah. the, the tension on the cranium will be a compensatory tension. So you would then the, you know, be aware right of it. Or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you may have... a. A, a right hip that is causing an issue and what your body's done is it's tensioned different areas up and down the chain and people certainly on are aware of fascial chains more and more nowadays and whether it's a posterior chain anterior chain spirals etc that the way the body connects it if your body has created these long guy ropes to help support an area that isn't working properly you can you can basically treat that guy rope all day long you could try and unwind a cranium and try and relax it treatment after treatment after treatment you might feel momentarily better but it comes back and it comes back quickly and certainly about getting to the root cause again i suppose precisely and and that's yeah. that's where people who would be against uh you know against mot's and the fact that you have to keep on seeing people there will be a philosophy that what you're doing is over treating someone or creating a dependence on seeing the physiotherapist yeah. and what you, the way the way you'd look at it is say well if the body is fluid and it keeps on changing, if you're treating something and it's the root cause, the likelihood is the body has been doing it for a long period of time and it's its plan A and it keeps going back to doing that. Yeah. If, yeah. You're, if you've seen someone and they treat something and it makes you feel better, but it comes back pretty quickly, it's possibly not the right area to be treating. And what no, you're probably doing is taking a pressure of away from a compensation, but the underlying problem's still there. Okay. So Interesting. there is an element of uh, of, of, of of you know of uh, a finance reward in the fact that I say, oh, Jules, when I when I put an acupuncture needle into your shoulder, it got better yeah. for two days. So why don't you come back every three days and let's do that? And yeah, it, that's you know, the oh, look, yeah. I've, I've made some money out of that. You feel better for a short period of time. Isn't that wonderful? But to me, that wouldn't address the root cause of the problem. Okay, interesting. No, I was, I was particularly interested about the cranial thing because I, I was wondering if there are pressures there that could be released. You know, what about cyclists and, and bike helmets? Could that be creating pressures in the cranium that are causing tensions further down the chain, maybe? There, there's a, that is a good question. Uh, <laughs> something to be studied, maybe. Yeah, right. I think we should, it'll be something really fun to look into. Uh, yeah. I can tell you that falls and mild concussions will certainly have an effect. Uh, so if you've ever fallen and really? broken a helmet, if you've had enough force to break the helmet, you've, there's probably enough force to 
you know, to create a tension around the skull. But the actual helmet itself, if it's if it's pressing onto an area that already has tension, absolutely, it would probably irritate that area or wind that area up more and more and more. Yeah, that's what I thought. Mm. Oh, well, that's worth maybe looking into. We'll have a look at that. Yeah. So, um, well, we must. I must wrap up soon. I've got some more questions to ask you actually, but. Uh, Firstly, for everyone that's been listening and either has a niggle or an injury or has done that self-assessment you mentioned and has noticed some imbalances or they're just keen to come to physio for, for an MOT, obviously, firstly, tell us a little bit about your chain of businesses and how they can locate you. And if they're further afield, how either you might better help them or if not, how they can go about finding the right physio that embraces you at this philosophy and what questions they should be asking to make sure they're finding the right physio cool that's a, that's a lot of questions in one Jill. we'll start with you tell us, tell us about your business and where you are in the world and, and what what you guys are doing um, and then we'll go further afield. right so, so we're based uh, in surrey where the spur in central london as well so we have clinics in waterland thames guildford worcester park and up in central london although naturally at this moment in time there's a limited opening availability yeah so uh, I think it was one of those classics of, uh, I, I grew up in Surrey, I then went around, and I sat in Birmingham, I sat in Edinburgh, I went overseas and played sports, uh, I did a ski season in Switzerland, as you do, yeah. still, still came back to home and to, to the area that I, I knew best. Brilliantly, that's probably where my, uh, my, uh, sort of my, my specialism in golf came from to begin with, because most of Surrey is a golf course. Uh, but well, you've got some cracking golf courses around here as well, right? Yeah. But also it's where my, my love of cycling inflamed, uh, flared up as well, because actually, you know, there's such an, uh, the, the, the cycling world has just increased so much. There's so many yeah. clubs and, and uh, engagements and, uh, you know, social cafes that you just go, this is, this is brilliant. And I started my cycling journey when I was up in Edinburgh and my friend lent me a road bike and I haven't looked back since. So, yeah. so the, the, so we yeah so that's where we are based and uh, our practitioners we uh, have physios and osteopaths and uh, obviously you you and I have talked before about the difference between different therapists and the difficulty around that question is the fact that people learn in different ways and then people develop in different ways so uh, yeah. one one physio is not the same as another physio one osteo is not the same as another osteo so uh, we're proud to have an osteopath on board and it's interesting that we've learned a lot from osteos as they've learned a lot from us so we sort of we almost amalgamate the skills to a point. Yeah, uh, yeah. Then what's the what are the what are the questions you need to think about when you see it? Right so what we can do, we can in the show notes. What we'll do, we'll put your contact details yeah. um, or body mechanics contact details in here. So if anyone is is in the London area that wants to to get an appointment to to come and see either yourself or, or one of the team, we we can sort of they can look to do that. Obviously, you do Zoom consultations as well, which I can testify are, are very effective. But if someone's, I don't know, we've got listeners all, all around the world. If someone wants to go see a physio in, I don't know, uh, Hong Kong or Chile or, or wherever they're listening, where where what what questions should they be asking in terms of how do they find a physio with a similar kind of philosophy if they're very interested in what you've discussed today? Cool. So uh, the first place to start would be Diane Lee's website. So she's the Canadian physio who uh, helps help me on my journey. And she Great. has we'll get that in the show notes as well. In the show notes, yeah. Uh, so yeah. she has a directory of everyone who has been taught a framework of assessment that, that I've been taught. Uh, they haven't necessarily had my background, but at least they're, they're going to be thinking in that open-minded way, which is which is useful. Yeah. Uh, the big questions you ask of a physio are. You know, can 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 the rest of the body can, can the body really you know interconnect? And can we can we work out how it's interconnecting? 
and what the effect is. And if you get someone who says, no, an old shoulder injury can't have any effect on a knee, then I would be wondering whether that thought process was correct or not, because the yeah. body adapts so much to every, every aspect of, of what happens to it, then yeah. uh, someone who flat out refuses to believe that, you would say, okay, well, thank you, but I, I, if, I, if I do want a, a full body, a holistic assessment, I want someone who can show me how the body interconnects, show me how it feels that the body interconnects. And uh, that can come from a chiro, an osteo, a physio, any practice, a sports therapist, soft tissue therapists. And this is where it comes down to their, the, the title is one of those things that people will have say, I saw an osteo before and he was rubbish. Well, you go, well, that, that, you, you can't tar everyone with the same brush. You just got to work out when you start speaking to someone, the questions you're asking them are, you know, can you interlink my whole body and show me that I can move better? by by looking at the yeah. whole thing uh, yeah and uh, and is, to your point is it's actually not irrelevant what they originally studied but i think that the better therapists are the ones that because it's a process of continued learning as you said but so many go on courses and you know i saw an amazing uh, massage therapist in in hong kong who has worked with the south african rugby team and cricket team and and he he was continually on courses and just wanting to learn how things work and taking more of that holistic approach as well so i think that's kind of key isn't it absolutely uh, and uh, the the title is kind of irrelevant uh, and you you look at it and say and uh, hence the title of our of, of the company we're mechanics of the body and yeah. you know, i've learned from osteopaths i've learned from chiros i've learned from sports massage therapists i've learned from every, and uh, and I will pass my, I, I openly pass my knowledge on to anyone who'll listen about it because sharing knowledge and sharing experience is the only way you learn how to make things, make, make yourself better, other people better. And the more open minded you are around that, I think the, the further you're going to go in life. And I, I, as I say, I, I don't profess to have all the answers, far from it. I, I profess to keep on learning to have more answers, yeah. but not all of the answers. But uh, so, but if you it, you often find that people, as you ask the questions of how does the body interconnect and is my hip how how's my hip moving? Is that a problem? What's going on? If you ask the questions about the different area of your body, you, you either get engagement or disengagement from from a therapist or from a practitioner. Well, that that often sums up the the, the answer as to how holistic they are in their approach. Very good. Dave, thank you so much for, for taking your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've got a quick, a few quick quiet fire questions to, to ask you, or just to get your views on a few things. So that would be very quickly, if you're okay to answer them. Yeah, go for uh, it. Yoga, yoga, Pilates, foam rollers, and massage guns. Brilliant. Okay. Do we take them one by one? Yep, go for it. <laughs> so uh, there are there are multiple people in my time that I have referred to yoga ther- to yoga as a therapy. There are multiple people that I refer to Pilates as a therapy. Uh, you look at those two practices again. Comes down to you get good practitioners or good teachers, not such good teachers. You get the ones that oh, go basically yeah. by the the basic rules of of what they've been taught, and ones that are so interested in how the body moves they've adapted what they're doing. And they work with you to make sure that you get the better movements from them. Yes. I, if you're, do I, do I, I quite like people doing both. It's a good plan. Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't tell you exactly which ones were best. 
but no, no, I just wondered if it was, a, it was you're, you're sort of keen on it. And obviously there's a movement element. You talked about the importance of just having that, that range of movement as, uh, with Pilates and, and yoga, but also from a, from a stress and sleep element, we, we spoke offline, just how important that is and to, in regards to body mechanics, right? It can really affect how your body moves, your stress management and also sleep as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. Stress, anxiety, worry, they're really good at manifesting in the body in the same way that you know there are there are visceral elements in the body that are important at the same time where if you, you, know, you stress, worry, you feel it in your stomach. Well, actually, yeah. if you're having issues around, st- around the stomach, you're having issues around digestive system, that creates an internal torsion that, Again, you could be finding that you're having a back pain and can't get rid of it, but actually it's nothing to do with the back. It's everything to do with you know, your, your, inner, your internal systems. Wow, okay. Uh, so stress, anxiety, worries, uh, and sleep. I'm going to bracket that in the same area in the fact that you know, anyone who's a parent knows, knows sleep deprivation and, uh, and, and embraces it, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, you look at the, the, the sleep, sleep for a body is so important to recharge. It's so important to reset the mind. It's important that the body gets the, that moment of that, that relaxation in order to uh, perfuse the muscle, flush out all the toxins of the, of the body. Uh, and interestingly, from that perspective, in, when you have an inflammatory pain, it's always worse in the morning. And there's a thought process. It's always actually, worse in the morning? Always worse Sorry, in the morning. Sorry, was that? Yeah. So okay. to be, yeah. So it's, it's quite an interest. So people go, it hurts when I do something repetitively. I go to bed feels all right. I wake up in the morning and it's painful. And you're like, well, that often your, your body's processed all these chemicals and <laughs> inflammatants and, and, and stirred them all up. And then actually, as you move around and your blood flow goes up again and flushes it all out. Dilutes it a bit, yeah. 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 Um, and hydration is probably key I, then as well. Absolutely. With regards to, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And, you know, treating the body as a, as a unit, hydration, nutrition, all very yeah. important elements of, of the being. And so you know, to, to, to bring it all the way around, back around to the start and, and learning within an integrated systems model and opening my eyes is you're looking at the fact that you know, we are, I'm, you're taught about that sort of the joint level and the muscle level of the body, but you have to take in the emotion of the body. The person who walks into my clinic room, uh, it's, a, it's a journey we both go on. So you, yeah. you have to understand the way they feel about things or ask them how they feel about things, empathize with how people feel about things. You, you, have, to un, you have to understand or listen to whether they are stressed. Are there, are there external elements that are outside of my control that, make my, that will make my job more difficult because it will have a negative effect on movement that has nothing to do with the testing of a, a joint or a muscle? You, there are the visceral elements, as we say, that, that cause torsions that you could have a pleurisy, a chest infection that irritates the lung tissue, which then creates a, a tension around the rib cage in a certain area. And you can keep oh, really? on trying to relax the rib cage, but it's not working because underneath it, there's still an active infection that won't let you move the area because by moving the area on, moving the lungs and getting the lungs mobile hurts. So you, that's how that's how integrated the body is, and how we, in my in my humble opinion, how we should all be looking at it, not just as a set of levers and pulleys that all have to work together. Well, the levers and pulleys are important, but the effect of everything else on the body cannot be ignored in any therapy because they have such a gross effect on the on the body. Parenthood, sleep deprivation, yeah, change of diet. Uh, digestive issues, heart problems, lung problems, yeah, you can keep on going. They, they all will have some kind of manifestation on how the body works.
It's amazing. We should probably wrap it up now, but I reckon we could. There was so much more to to delve into, isn't there? But um, um, I, I will tack on the end because the, you, you asked the two things. I've just completely gone off on a mini tangent. Foam rollers, massage oh, guns. Yeah. yeah, foam rollers, spiky yeah. balls, any uh, soft tissue manipulators. Uh, you know, gun uh, massage guns. The soft tissues get get overactive and get tight. So they get uh, so, and what you tend to find is people. So people talk about trigger points. They talk about tensions in muscles, and it's where yeah. the muscle is being is contracting at a certain level and has, or has forgotten how to relax, or the brain doesn't want to relax it because it's doing it for a purpose, or it thinks it's so doing it for compensating for something. Maybe so it's either compensating for something, or it was compensating yeah. for something. It doesn't need to anymore, but the brain hasn't worked. The brain's moved on from that point, so it's just worked oh, out by keep on contracting it nothing no harm's going to come so foam rolling and guns are, are good for 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 releasing that tension They're good for um, the tension but they they sh- you, they should be prioritized in the key areas and that's where it comes back to the difficulty of an, of analyzing the key area because often where you get a pain isn't where the root of the problem is yeah okay yeah. So i've got another get... question now <laughs> <laughs> what about what about scraping is the is it the fascia yeah yeah yeah, is, is that what are your views on that? Is that again, uh, uh, if you're if you're using it in the right areas, it's a great you know, tr- tr- treatment adjunct. So uh, scraping, myofascial release, rolfing, um, spiky balls, acupressure mats, dry needling, acupuncture. All of these things aren't off the table. All of these things can be beneficial if it suits you as a as the individual and you're targeting the right area. Whichever one works is fantastic, but just Great. because it helps your friend doesn't, doesn't mean, mean it'll help you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you can have positive effects from it, negative effects from it. But the biggest key element is uh, anyone who is just foam rolling top to toe because they think that's a good idea, you're probably going to release the right area or relax the right area to a degree, but you're also going to relax the compensatory areas that have been set up to help protect the area that isn't working properly. So okay. targeted input of soft tissue work, fantastic, yeah. absolutely fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Good. I think that's a good bot to finish. Otherwise, we'll be talking all, all evening. But that's certainly physio or, or your philosophy to physio has come a long way to plug you into the ultrasound for 20 minutes and uh, with the gel on and then walk off again. But uh, so thank you so much. Just genuinely, Go I ahead, remember man. as a 14-year-old boy having electrodes hooked onto my knee and sitting there for 15 minutes and thinking, yeah. I'm not sure what this is doing. Now, oh, exactly, not, all the old not, tensing machine. Yeah, again, it's not to say it's ineffective. It's just, yeah, there are lots of different ways to look at the body. Our, our, the, way, the way that we look at it is one way, but incorporates a lot of stuff. Uh, but I, we, as you, as you probably heard in the, in the talk, I get very excited about it. And as I say, George, it's time, it's time to wrap this up. Great. Well, we should, we'd love to get you back on if that's okay. I mean, first and foremost, if anyone wants to get in touch with Dave, all his details are in the show notes and we'll get loads of information in the show notes for you as well. But we'd love you to get you back on. Maybe we'll get you on with, with Dougie as well uh, from Edinburgh Bike Fitting and we could talk a little bit about evolving bike fitting or there's lots of different things. No, definitely i love the idea and just uh i because it'd be a learning a learning thing for me as well so I, I i'm always open for that sort of thing love it collaborations fantastic superb let's do that brilliant dave thank you so much for taking the time we really appreciate it brilliant conversation and we look forward to stay in touch when you and we look forward to catch you up soon Definitely. Pleasure to speak. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. All the best. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. 
And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.